as families, as individuals, you know, in all of our experiences. And the main point of last week's message is that our memories, whether they be about September 11th or whether they be about any other events in our lives, are not meant to hold us in the past, but they're meant to influence our future and our present in a positive way. And so we choose not what we want to believe because many things happen without us being able to control them, but we choose how we want to believe them. And we carry our memories close to us like lifelong companions that, that benefit us in some way. And so today, what I want to talk about is um, the atmosphere and the environment and conditions in which we live in today. Um, last week I was out in one of the local stores here and I was buying some fall clothes for my children. I have a four and a five year old and so any of you with children you know they're growing out of clothes in like two days. <laughs> I always need new clothes. So I went to the store and I was shopping for some clothes and I got to the register. I had a whole bunch of stuff and there was another woman who was also purchasing some clothes there at the register and the cashier rang up her clothes and the clothes came to like almost a hundred dollars. The lady there who was at the register then said, you know, I'm sorry, I somehow I miscounted, I lost track, I thought this was only going to come to like $24, I just, I don't have the money for this. I'm really sorry. And I knew she was, you know, we could tell that she was a little embarrassed, you know, how that is, there's a whole line of people behind you. And so I just tried to soften the moment a little bit. I was like, you know, I know I'm always miscounting things. And she just began to go into her story right there at the cash register with us in line. She just began to share. She had four or five children that were there. I lost count myself playing with her. But she talked about how she needed clothes for her children. and. She just didn't have the money to get these clothes. And she talked about how humbling this season has been with the economy. Her husband lost his job. Things didn't work out the way they thought they were going to do with some other opportunities for income. And just how humbling this has been. But even as she began to tell her story, the cashier stopped and said, you know what, me too. I'm glad you said something because she was an older lady and she said, um, no one would have called, could have told me last year that I'd be living in my son's basement. Cooking on a single um, hot plate and having a microwave, that's how I cook my meals. She said, no one could have told me that. And this is here in Crofton that I'm talking about. And she said, but you know what? It's the best experience of my life. And I was like, whoa. We just began to share with each other. I was like, you know what, me too, now that you mentioned it. This is a tight time, it's a tight economy, everybody's struggling, and we just began to share with the three of us. The other people online were just like, well, hey, you know, why don't we pull up a chair and have some coffee? But we just began to share, the three of us, how we've learned so much about ourselves and we've learned so much about God through this difficult time and you would have thought that we were talking about, you know, sharing joy stories or something like that. But even though there were difficult times that we were talking about, all of us were joyful. Like even in the midst of the, the difficulty, there was hope, there wasn't despair, and there wasn't fear. And I thought about that later. I said, wow, 
what was in common with the three of us was that we were all Christians. We were all believers. And as I thought about that in my car, I said, gosh, that's what makes the difference. You know, it's like the, the classic novel that we have to read in school that starts out, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Well, it was the same time for everyone, but what makes the difference between whether someone experiences this difficult time of war and economic distress? What makes the difference between whether it's a best time or a worst time? And I realized it's all about what we remember. In the midst of this difficult time, don't forget. There's three things I don't want you to forget. I know every pastor always has three points, so you know. But the first one that I don't want you to get forget is your potential. As difficult as circumstances are, we are the children of God. Those of us who have received Jesus Christ into our hearts, the sky is the limit. I was reading about, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar. He's a popular um, writer, and he often talks about training and, and self-development uh, and growth. And one of the things that Zig Ziglar talks about in one of his books, it's a book entitled, uh, I'll Meet You at the Top, or I'll See You at the Top. And he talks about how to train fleas. You know, fleas, you think about, you usually want to get out of your house, but there's things like flea circuses, if you've ever heard, there, where there's actually fleas in the circus, and you can train fleas to do things. And he talks about the process of how you train fleas. And basically what happens, you know, fleas can jump very high. That's how they get from the outside to our dogs or our kids everywhere else. But what they do is they put fleas in a clear jar with a lid on it. Well, fleas are going to do what they're created to do and what they have the ability to do. The first thing the flea's going to do is the flea's going to jump, and there's a lid on the top of the jar. So the flea's going to jump and hit his head, hit his, her head, the flea's head. I don't know if fleas are her. But it's going to jump up and down, up and down, boom, boom. The first couple of times the flea hits his head, it you know, might shake itself off, but then the flea's going to keep jumping because fleas have the ability to jump in their nature to jump, to get from one place to the other. But every time the flea jumps, boom, it hits its head. Finally, what happens over time is the person who's trying to train the flea, they may come in and they'll see that on the very first day the flea is jumping up and down aggressively because the flea knew that there's a lid, but I know how to jump. Yes, there's a lid, but I know how to jump. And so over and over again, but then maybe by day two, or as the days go on, the flea's jumping a little slower. Because yes, the flea knows how to jump. Yes, the flea has the ability to jump, but I'm so tired of hitting my head. Finally, after a few more days, the trainer will come in, and you know what? The flea's not jumping anymore. Because over and over again, even though the flea had the ability to jump, the flea was created to jump. Jumping gets the flea from one place to the next. 
the flea's tired of bumping its head. It's hurt, it's discouraged, it's confused. Why is there a lid here? I can see all around me in this clear jar. I can see the future that I want. I can see where I want to go. But over and over again, I hit my head. So it stops jumping. Then what does the trainer do? Takes the lid off of the jar and leaves again. Because he's not quite sure. Yeah, it's tired. It seems like the flea beat down. The flea has stopped jumping. But I just want to make sure. So the trainer removes the hurdle, takes the lid off of the jar, and sees what happens. Lid's gone. Flea still doesn't jump. So tired from hitting its head over and over again that it forgot that it had the ability to jump when the hurdle was removed. I don't know about you, but I see myself in that story. There's been some times where I had some dreams, I had some visions, I had some plans for myself and for my family, but over and over again, I jump, I hit my head. I jump, I hit my head. I jump, I hit my head. Because sometimes there's hurdles, both that are within myself and those that other people put around me. They're like lids on top of the jar of my life. And over and over again, boom. Every time I try, I hit my head. And so we become trained just like that sleep. Status quo is good enough. You know what? Even though the lid is gone, we're in a tough economy now, but you know what? It's not going to always be like this. There was a depression once, believe it or not. People were standing in line for cheese, but you know what? Things got better. Those people who didn't forget they were created to jump, as soon as that obstacle was removed, boom, they jumped again. They remembered, my way is clear. I was created with the ability to jump. And that's the people of God. That's what happens when, when there's tough times, when there's tough economies, when you lose your job or when something you try doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to for the 15 millionth time. You still jump. You've always got your eyes on that, that top. You've always got your eyes up looking at God. You've always, you're always looking at the one in whose image you were created. You know, you're always looking to see as soon as that hurdle leaves. Always on. As soon as I have the opportunity again. And that's the wonderful thing about God. You know, there's some scripture in the Bible. We read the Bible, not just as like easy reading, because quite honestly, some of it's not very easy to read. But we read it because it, it's like a, a manual, you know, a, a how-to for how to live our lives. And one of the things that it reminds us of in the 139th Psalm it tells us our potential. This is like our jump. The psalmist is saying to God, the creator of most, the creator of all the world, you have created my innermost being. You knit me. You, you put me together. You, God, you put me together while I was still in my mother's womb. In other words, before I ever jumped the first time and hit my head, you knew me. 
He says, I, was, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In other words, God, nothing that you created is bad. I have the potential to do everything that you placed before me. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I can do all things, not some things, not one or two things, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's encouraging for me because if you only knew the lid that I have jumped up against, and you can imagine some, but if you only knew the number of times that I had a dream and a vision and boom, there were obstacles, but you know what? I've promised myself that I will not forget my potential. God created me wonderfully before I was ever born and before these hurdles ever came. So don't forget your potential. The next thing I want to talk about is don't forget the promises that God made. Because, you know, that's like the, the where to. If we were just jumping and jumping and jumping like my four and five year old often do, if we were just all, you know, as believers, trusting in God, if we were just all jumping around with no purpose, going nowhere fast, we would just be jumping. But what God promises gives us purpose. It, it gives us a destiny. It's like the end of the road where the map is. And sometimes that end is really just the end of one promise and the beginning of another. But don't forget those promises. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13, God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And if you, you read that, if you go into Jeremiah reading, you'll see it's a time where the Israelites, as I talked about last week, they were in captivity. It was, it was the worst of times. But right in the midst of that worst of times was the best of times. God stepped into their lives with all that was going on around them and said, you know what? Don't focus on the bad. Focus on what I promised. God had promised them that they would be a nation. God had promised them that the people would be blessed through them. And God told them, no matter what's going on, don't forget the promise. I think about um, Joseph. You know, I, I, we, my husband and I, we do a little Bible study with our children each night before they go to bed. And one of the stories that we were reading recently was Joseph. And, and my children were having a difficult time with that. You know, they were like, well, because we talked about Joseph and his, his nice coat. And then we talked about, you know, Joseph and how he went to prison and how he almost died and his brothers threw him in a well. Well, you can imagine, I got a four and five year old and they're going, what? And Brock, who's the oldest boy, is looking at his sister going, really? They threw him in a well? <laughs> 
like she's getting ideas and I'm thinking, uh oh, this is not going to turn out good. But one of the things that was most difficult for them was to understand how this Joseph guy was over and over again. He, was, he had a dream and then his brothers beat him up. He was thrown into a pit and then he was sold into prison. And then he was put into Pharaoh's house in top, on top or in charge of everything. And then he was thrown, you know, into prison. And it's like, then he became the king of Egypt. And they're like, what? What? Whoa. You know, this is like a, one of those fast-paced movies where there's a car chase and then there's this. And you're, when you look at the beginning and the end, you know, in between there's these ups, these downs, these ups, these difficulties, great times. He's, it's like one minute he's on the low, the next minute he's on the mountaintop. But when you look at the beginning and you look at the end, one thing was inconsistent. In the beginning, God gave Joseph a promise. He told him that you will reign over the nation and even your brothers and your mother and your father will bow down before you. And then all this stuff happened and then you see the other end. Joseph rules over Egypt. And it's like, you know, you can't really help them understand that in any other way other than like when I say, well, you know how mommy sometimes will promise you things? Like I promised them that I was going to take them to the fair yesterday. And when I do that, if I tell them in the morning, they will ask me all day. Mommy, remember, go into school. Remember, you made a promise. If I'm a good listener, you're going to take it to the fair. Coming home. Mommy, remember, you made a promise. If I'm a good listener, you're going to take me to the fair. I open the agenda book. The teacher's asking, did you promise Barack that he was going to go to a fair? Because this kid's asking me all day about this promise. And then he goes to bed at night. And then the next day, he wakes up in the morning. You made a promise, Mommy. That's what believers should do. No matter what, when no matter what's going on in our day, we need to be saying to God, remember God, you made me a promise. I don't understand how things are going to happen. I don't understand how it's going to come together. Everything I do seems to not work, but remember God, you made me a promise, and I will not forget it. When we do that, we walk around, just like I said last week, we walk around with our memories like life companions. We walk around with those promises in our pockets, in our hearts, right before us, just like life companions. Because the promise that God made for all of us is that no matter what happens in life, we shall never be put to shame. We shall not die, but live numerous, over and over promises in the Bible that God has made for us. No believer can be defeated as long as we put our trust in God, no matter what external circumstances. So don't forget your potential. Don't forget your promises. Hold on to them because that's your destiny. That's your motivation. That's your purpose. And the last thing I want to share is don't forget the power in telling the story. I started out by saying, you know, this whole idea for today came about as me standing at that register and hearing the story of this woman that I didn't even know. And by her sharing her story, it encouraged the woman at the register to share her story and then encouraged me to share my story. And in that moment of our stories coming together, there was peace. 
There was healing. There was encouragement. Because we now knew what God could do through another person's story. And that encouraged us about what God could do through my story. You know, the interesting thing about our stories is they only make sense in the bigger picture of God's story. I love when I see that word, you know, history. It really means like his story is the way that I like to think about it. And like my little story and that other one, the other buyer's story and the cashier's story are all in the umbrella of his story. Because had Christ not died for our sins so that we could have peace in our hearts and so that we could have joy and we could know and receive the promises of God, there would be no my story. There would just be misery and fear and confusion about what step to take next. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, it says this, and I'll, I'll read, there's a number of, thing, uh, of verses here. The first one, verse 30 through 32 says, And those that God predestined, God also called. Those God called, God also justified. And those God justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this knowledge, to this promise? If God is for us, who can be against us? For God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, but gave him up for us, all of us, not some, all of us, how will God not also, along with Christ, graciously give us all things? In other words, if God who is our Father, in whose story we all live. If God gave us Jesus Christ, His own Son, to die for our sins, how much more would God not give us the things that we need from each day, whether it be a job, whether it be peace in your mind, whether it be that idea for the next business venture, whatever that thing is, how much more would God not give that to us? Because God's story is our story. It says in 33, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? Who can accuse me? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns me? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And God and he, Jesus, is praying for us. How great is that? You know, we think about it like, I don't know about you, but when someone comes up to me or I get an email or something, and they say, you know what, Pastor Sean, I'm praying for you. That just feels wonderful to me. But when I read in the Bible that Jesus Christ himself is sitting next to like the big guy and is praying for me, that is wonderful. It's everything I need to keep jumping. You know, it's everything I need to, to share. And it says, it, as it is written in verse 36, 
for your sake, we face death all day long. In other words, life is not easy, but we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Some days I don't know if there's going to be another day. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced, this is the writer here, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nothing, neither the present, nor the future, no powers. And these might seem like strange words in our time. You know, who talks like that? I'm a sheep being slaughtered. We don't usually talk like that if, unless you're a farmer, but we can relate. He's basically saying, you know what, this is a rough life. There's good times where I feel like I'm on the mountaintop, but there's also some really difficult times. But in it all, nothing can, neither, it says neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation, nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power of the story. I'm sure as we go about our days, we meet people, neighbors, friends, family members, sometimes even our own children or our own parents who are discouraged. They're like those, those trained fleas. Well, that just seems so bad calling people. They're like those, those fleas that have lost their jump. They can't see the fact that the sky is open, that you are a child of God and there's so much potential in you. They can't see that. The only way to help them see that is not to, you know, tell them to watch reruns of Oprah and some self-help thing. The only way to help people truly live a life where they jump no matter what is to tell them the story. Jesus Christ was not withheld by his father, but he was given as a sacrifice for all of us. Why? So that nothing, nothing, I don't care if I lost my job, I don't care if I don't know what to do, I don't care if the new business isn't working the way that I thought it would, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I don't even care if the Ravens don't win a Super Bowl this year, as miserable as that would be, because I really, really want them to win the Super Bowl. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That creates the best of times, right in the midst of the worst of times. There is nothing you can do to me, world, people, anyone, that will destroy my ability to jump because I'm a child of God. Nothing the world, people, can do or say to you that can destroy your ability to jump because you are a child of God. Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ is praying for you today. Amen. Even as I stand here, I realize, you know, I'm talking a lot about Christ. And I'm talking a lot about living in the grace and being covered in the prayers of Jesus Christ. 
but it's sort of like, you know, sometimes I, I joke around with my children. I'm glad they're in the other room because I'll be preaching about them a lot. They give me lots of examples. Sometimes I'll joke around with my children when I see them in the living room. I'll say, who are you? Does your mommy or your daddy know that you're here in my house? You know, who are you? And they joke, they say, I'm your daughter, I'm your daughter. Well, that's sort of like what Christ does. You know, when we come into the house of the Lord, Christ says, you know what? It's okay that you're here, but who are you? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He wants to pray for you by name because you're His child. But until you take that step to say, yes, Jesus Christ, I belong to you. You're my daddy. You're my mommy. I belong to you. I'm your child. Christ is saying, who are you? Does your mommy or daddy know that you're here? And so we don't want anyone to leave this place today not knowing who you belong to. Because you know what? It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. It's rough. It's tough times. Not saying everybody's sad, but there's a lot of things going on that will eat us up alive if we don't know who we're grounded in. And even more than what's going on out here today, we've got eternity. So I invite you today, I just want to ask everyone to just, to just bow your head and close your eyes. I invite you today, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, if you, if you want to believe that, that you are created in, in God and you recognize that because we all are created by God, whether we accept Him or not, if you want to receive that place that He has for you, we invite you to do that today. If that's you today and nobody's looking, this is between you and God, but I'm just going to ask that you just raise your hand today. If that's you, if you don't want to leave this place with Jesus Christ saying to you, who are you? Do you belong to me? Raise your hand. Amen. I see you. This is between you and God. Nobody else matters where you were, what you did yesterday, what you're going to do tomorrow, nothing matters. This is the story. Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ is praying for you. Let's pray a prayer together. Jesus, dear God, we thank you for dying for us. God, we acknowledge your Son, Jesus Christ, just pray this in your heart with me. We acknowledge that Christ died for us and that Christ rose again, that he, your son, sacrificed so that we can live in your purpose each day. Christ, we don't want to be a foreigner to you, but we want to belong to you. So we ask you to come into our hearts today. We ask you to be the head of our lives. We ask you to direct us, Lord, in, in the way that we live. We accept being accepted today. Thank you for grace. 
God, we confess that we are sinners. We know that we could never earn what Jesus Christ did for us. But we pray that you would forgive us for our sins. And as we stumble and fall even in the days to come, we thank you that your grace covers us and we can ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for the potential that you've given to us. Thank you for the promises you've made to us. And thank you for the power that's in your story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. For those of you who raised your hand and and took that first step, I celebrate with you. My heart is just joyed for what I know God is going to do in your life. Because all we have to do is say we're open and God does the rest. So God bless you. I ask that as we conclude our worship experience here, if you've not been with us before, that you please just fill out one of the the tabs that's on the bulletin for each adult, even as you came as a family, because on there is the opportunity for me to pray for you. That's okay. Sometimes we don't want to fill out those things if we don't want to be contacted. But if you don't want that, you can put that on there. But please give me the opportunity to pray with Christ for you. So just put your name and your information on there and anything that we might pray. And you can give that to one of anyone that you see, to myself or someone else with a name tag today. God bless you. May the peace of God rest with you, abide in you, and may his joy overtake you and be with you as you go from day to day. May you never forget who you are in Christ, for he will never forget you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.